Hello friends and enemies and welcome to episode 7 of Changelog. Today I'll be talking with my old friend Jensetera, talking about simplicity in game design, failure, and messy success. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Are you ready, IntroBot? Let's begin. I just kind of, you know, hi, <laughs> welcome to Playtest. Yeah. Um, and this is it. We're in it now. <laughs> uh, so hello, everybody, to this episode of Changelog. I am here uh, with pr- probably the... I don't think I'll ever have someone on this podcast that I've known longer than this guest, uh, because anybody I've known longer than you, uh, either I have no interest in having on or they don't know anything about RPGs. So hello uh, to to my my friend Jun. Hello, uh, it's fantastic to be on. Honestly, like this has been, I don't want to say this has been years in making, but like we traveled down different paths for a while, and now it's all kind of come back together. We have I, we haven't named you because we were deciding what what how to how to credit you in the book. But for those who have been listening for a while, uh, uh, John is the one who came up with the mementos uh, mechanic mm-hmm. uh, that I have I, I've just taken. I haven't I haven't play tested it yet, but it's not something like it, it's not something that's going to if if all the other system works fine, then the mementos are going to work fine in there because all it does is like things that are already in there just for a specific reason um so so it hasn't actually come up in a um game yet because i'm having to explain like teach the game to people and throwing yeah. another thing on there hasn't been like a high priority as i'm ma- i'm doing huge swings in the game every time yeah well it's, um, also, it's also it's a character advancement um mechanic so right it, it's something i imagine that it's something that's good will come eventually once the characters get a few adventures under their belts yeah, um, I'm just gonna. I'm, we're gonna do the icebreaker question, but okay. we don't really need it. Okay. Uh, we'll do that in a second because I still want to go over a little bit more history for uh, because uh, you, Pete was running Anima, right? So yeah, it was Pete who ran uh, Anima. Was that the first game that we that we ran yeah. together? It, well, it was it was both of this. So yeah. I had only played Dungeons and Dragons first and second edition. Up until I met this online group, and I've talked about you. I've talked about this group uh, because it's just a, a huge part of my RPG history. I talked about this group on this podcast and other podcasts, but up until then, I hadn't played anything except for first and second edition Dungeons and Dragons. And then, uh, within the span of two weeks, I joined both the campaigns that your group was in, which was D twenty Modern, which was not modern. We were in the far flung future. Yeah. Oh God. What what campaign was that? You're gonna have to. The idea was the, a rogue planet had impacted our, our yeah. Earth, and that, that was it. And then the other campaign was Anima, so we just made, called the group Rogue Anima. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I made uh, an image for it, which was basically like Luke Skywalker <laughs> playing a guitar. Yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, like the the Anima campaign, like that was it was really interesting. I like in retrospect, I don't rate Anima as a system that highly. Because no. it's it's not really the kind of system that I like. Like Anima, no. if I remember incorrectly, uh, it was a system where, like, if you wanted to hit anything, you rolled twice and then checked a chart. And yeah, that so was that's just not the kind of game so, that I like. <laughs> right. So the strikes against it for me are: it's a D one hundred system. Okay. 
right off the bat bad mm-hmm. i don't like d100 it's okay if y'all like d100 systems i don't like d100 systems um it it has i think you have to roll twice yeah like you said roll twice to see if you succeed and then they roll to see if they block you if you're in a combat mm-hmm. so it, it's like three rolls for every action and there's just so many it's just Oh, I do yeah. like. I did like the feel and the world. Yeah, um, and the art in the book was oh god, wonderful. the art was, the art was so lovely. <laughs> it was it was just evocative and beautiful to to read and look at and oh yeah, the art was fantastic. Yeah, but yeah, so so not to bore everybody with our, our reminiscing, but right. that's a that's a it's important. Like if you if you're gonna plot like where my um. Uh, gaming history split from like old school D anD D was with you, so I think that's an important <laughs> thing to state. Yeah. Um, who? Okay. So now let's. Now that we've we've reminisced, let's break the ice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is going to be a change because uh, with the other one, it's it always ends up being a very long conversation. It's not really an icebreaker. So, but this is a question I'm always interested in, which is, hey, 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 Jen, you you're a game designer. Um, do you have any games in your game graveyard that you've started and not been able to finish? Or do you have a game, uh, like a pipe dream game, that you would someday love to make but don't know how or don't have the time to yet? I have so many projects <laughs> in my game graveyard. Um, God, where to even start? Um, so there's... Because if you, if you're not wanting this to be a really long conversation, no, this is one. You get to pick one. You gotta. Oh, I've got one to pick your one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll give a sort of brief answer, and then I'll try and keep my answers quite concise, if that's <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I've had just like so many games or game ideas that just come to me, and for whatever reason, maybe I'm just don't have the time don't have the energy or like i hit a a roadblock with it um i've just not been able to finish unfortunately um Uh like there's been quite a few settings that i've that i've kind of half started i started like a um a kind of seafaring pirate setting has kind of been Mm -hmm. on my mind for a long time and the major roadblock for that is how do I not make this colonial as heck? Yeah. Um, and I really want to do something including Magical Girls because I feel mm-hmm. that is just a completely undertapped kind, like undertapped genre. Like uh-huh. I recently went back and started playing Final Fantasy Ten Two. Yeah, recently, which is like one of my favorite games of all time, and yeah. as I was playing it, I was just like, "Why aren't there more games like this?" I mean, I know the answer, and it's misogyny, <laughs> and or rather, the feeling that these kind of games, like aimed more towards women, will not sell. But yeah. it's just such an undertapped kind of vein. Um, I just uh, real real quick want to mention uh, if you are interested in in finding ones that uh, are coming out or have already been made, I know of two magical girl games that you might be interested in. Okay, go uh, ahead. There, there's a, a game called Domina Magica, which is by Emily Reinhardt. Okay, uh, which has backed it has it funded like last year or something. 
I don't know if like the PDF is available yet, but I know I have not got my physical copy yet. So I don't think there's physical copies for sale. Okay. Uh, and then previous guest on this podcast, Amr, is uh, working with Ryan Bolter on a game called Chimera, which is like a genre blending game. And one of the genres you can play with that, and it's a PBTA game, one of the genres you can play with that is a Magical Girl game. And oh, it really seems, cool. it's not it's not as uh, in-depth or, or focused, so yeah. obviously there's, like, if you wanted a, a very dedicated Magical Girl game, yeah. it, it, maybe there's something else. But uh, I just wanted to mention both of those that y- you might be interested in, in looking up yeah, the, the uh, if table, you were looking for one now. The tabletop and role-playing space is definitely becoming more of a domain for magical girl stuff like i feel mm-hmm. like in recent years i've just been seeing more and more takes on um the magical girl genre by people who really care and love about that genre yeah. um i'm i'm saying that in comparison to things such as madoka magica or magical girl raising project which are mm-hmm. just things that are aimed squarely at men and uh-huh. do not understand or care for magical girls as an actual genre um in fact i have very strong feelings that i don't count madoka magica as a (laughs) magical girl show at all because i don't so i sorry go ahead because i don't think that it passes the tests for what a magical girl show is you know it's it is a horror it is a horror story that has magical girls as window dressing yeah, I uh, in in the last the, the la- well not la- the last um, aired arc of uh, Heart Space Hustle. I uh, it was a magical girl uh, arc, and I try- I was trying to suggest names, and I suggested a name with the term Magica in it, and everybody just started groaning. Oh no! <laughs> it's an easy mistake to make, though. Isn't yeah, it? I, I say I, I, I kind of half jokingly uh, say sometimes like one of the greatest crimes uh, toxic masculinity has ever done to me is rob me of getting into the magical girl genre at a younger age because yeah. it's 100 percent my shit. Yeah. Um, like everything I've seen or like heard from Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know I liked like I watched a few episodes of Ca- Cardcaptor Sakura mm-hmm. Sakura when I was little mm-hmm. and I loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like immediately didn't like latch onto it as much as I probably should have yeah um so i actually surprising a lot of people have don't have any touchstones with magical girl genres because oh we're gonna uh, have to change that at some point yeah really gonna have to change that yeah i i definitely should i like i keep saying i'm gonna watch sailor moon Mm -hmm. the problem with sailor moon is there's so much (laughs) yeah yeah there's so much of it um i think you could probably just watch the first season of it yeah, like I think also if, the the beginning of it in the first season is also like very monster of the week, which is one hundred percent my jam too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it was it was a mash between the kind of Sentai, um, Super Sentai monster of the week, and a story that is about a young girl like maturing into in maturing in like a young girl maturing into a young woman and what that means and it's just a wonderful wonderful story about this girl who starts off as very immature and really goes on an adventure to discover what it means to be an adult um it's 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 wonderful and i think 
I think another thing that really makes it that really makes it worthwhile in the role playing space is that a big theme of Magical Girls is that um, is that empathy and connection and understanding are equally way equally valid ways to overcome difficulties compared to fighting. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you think about masculine culture as being very much about fighting and domination and such, magical mm-hmm. girl stuff is all about how can we solve this solution not by fighting but through, like, figuring out what the problem is and empathizing with um with what the problem is and solving it that way and listening and using all of these um stereotypically feminine skills. And I think the reason why... That's not to say that Magical Girl stuff shouldn't include fighting, but if you watch the really good Magical Girl stuff, the fighting is all... The physical fighting is always presented um, as equal to all of the other activities. Mm-hmm. You know, they stand side by side as equal, equally valid solutions to a problem. And that is right. really the core of good magical girl stuff <laughs> yeah awesome so if you were okay i'm gonna roll like we're gonna keep going with this because obviously this is something pa- you're passionate about yeah so i'm just yeah. gonna go i'm just gonna go with the next uh bit of like um if if you were like my my trick question is generally like if you're reading a game uh and you see something in the game uh that makes you go oh this is a game for me mm-hmm. specifically jun uh, what what is that, and is it something you would bring to a magical girl game? Hmm, interesting. Um, so I think the I I have I've kind of two quick. I'm going to complicate things again by giving like two okay. answers because um, I think these days when I look at a game, what I really look for is simplicity. Yeah. And I think part of that is is that I have a lot less free time yes. than I did and a lot less energy to learn what is essentially a brand new skill. And that right. is, like, whenever you pick up a, a new game system, you know, you're essentially learning a new skill. Just like mm-hmm. even if I, like, started learning how to cook or something like that. Right. And so, really... These days when I'm looking at something, I really like games that can just, like, that are easy to set up, to run, to understand what they're going for. Um, and I think that is just a thing. I think no, it's not just a thing with me having a lot less um, time than I used to do. Um, I think that simple games tend to allow for a greater amount of creativity about how you um interpret those rules and and so because of there's that additional creativity it means you can really to go back to what you were saying about magical girl stuff like it does mean that you can come up with additional ways to overcome you know adversity Right. Um, it it means that like you're not just confined to what you roll in a combat system, for example. Um, right. 
it means that you can come up with different ways of of using of using skills and and i'm going to mm-hmm. use uh two examples um of what kind of sort of creative flexibility that i like um, okay. One is D and D fifth edition. Uh, do you rate fifth edition at all? As in, do you think it's good? Oh, uh, I think D and D fifth edition is the the best D and D so far for me. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I um I I have some pro- I have problems like we and we'll you know all of my problems with D and D. You probably have the same ones. Like there's some weird like it's it's hard to talk. Like it's such a a, a made mainstay of D that i didn't even think about it the longest time but there is like some weird race science shit in it yeah um, oh god yeah there's that's... some colonialism in it yep we're gonna go into uh, your temple and we're gonna steal all your shit and sell yeah, it um so like there's there's problems intrinsically with with it but I, like i'm definitely not one of those it's like i definitely the world's shit and and you need to do what makes yeah. you happy for not hurting somebody. I think it definitely falls in like the problematic fave category. I really do like Vancient casting and uh, these these. There's something nice about uh, being in sight. Like ha- ha- like it's it's like um, really unhealthy comfort food. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's where most of us got our start. It onboards a lot of people into it uh, into the, the hobby, which you know comes with its own positive and yeah. negatives because people come in with some some preconceived notions mm-hmm. but yeah i i think D is a pretty serviceable game which is a controversial opinion right, <laughs> in my yeah. circle oh yeah uh, like i i know some i uh, yeah as you say it's controversial but what i really like about it in the context of the question is what they did to skill checks in uh-huh. that the vast as in you have these six stats strength agility yep. the strength dexterity constitution intelligence wisdom and charisma and mm-hmm. your d like instead of having like a list of like 15 or 20 skills your dm can say make a strength check right or like like i can come up with some kind of like innovative and creative solution to this and instead of the dm going well it's not in the skill or it's not quite a match with this your dm can say yeah that sounds like a feat of strength roll me a strength check or like roll me a charisma check or roll me a or roll me an intelligence check yeah or if you want to get really spicy you can be like oh well i'm gonna let you succeed but make a a strength save to see if you get hurt in the process exactly exactly and the flexibility and creativity that's offered by the ability to just say make an intelligence check rather than saying well that falls under a knowledge whatever check is uh-huh. is a degree of flexibility that just offers the the capacity for so much creativity in how yeah. you approach things. Also, just um, uh, and and we so, so fun fact you you ran the first D and D fifth edition game because you ran D and D and D next for us. I remember, uh, yeah. Uh, and we we gushed about it way back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the the um. Oh my god, I've just got the term, the, the, the advantage. Um, the advantage mechanic is so good because it just gets rid of all those figu- fiddly positives and negatives we got to keep, keep in track of. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and also, it rewards, like, if you do something really fucking cool, I can just give you fucking advantage for it. Yeah, inspiration. <laughs> or give you the, whatever that point is where you can have it for yourself. Inspiration, yeah. Yeah, the inspiration mechanic is so good. And I, 
I would I always highly encourage any fifth edition DM to just make liberal use of the inspiration mechanic. Yeah. Or something that my last DM said was that he said, I'm not going to give you inspiration. Instead, you give each other inspiration. Yeah. So if another player does something and you think that's really cool or that's really in character for them, you can give them inspiration. Yep. And that's uh, so good. I uh so yeah, the, like the I definitely agree the way they simplified uh 5th edition uh, and also I'll, like uh, I was listening to to a show called System Mastery. I don't know if you've heard it. I haven't, sorry. System Mastery is a very funny good podcast where two uh friends review old shitty games. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, like they have to be out of print, and I th- I think they have to be. They not have. I think generally they're supposed to be first. No, I think they get rid of that. But uh, they, they on their anniversaries, like every twenty five episodes, they do a a a, a edition of D anD D. And this most recent one was fifth edition. And they brought up a point uh, that I have forgotten as I've been talking. What was about to say? <laughs> oh, so they got the, all the advanced things like the the. Things you would get like t- level ten plus and shit, like the choice you make about going into advanced paths or whatever they were called in fourth and third. Um, they move that shit to third level. Okay. <laughs> like you make your you make your choice at third level. Like uh, that's where you get like arcane trickster if you're yeah. if you want to be yeah. Which I think is great because who the fuck plays that long? <laughs> <laughs> who the, like it, it, generally if I ever played it at, at a heroic D and D campaign, we started at tenth level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, uh, I will say they, they the the places where fifth edition falls apart is where they didn't simplify shit properly, which is like the CR, like right, yeah, that's that's worthless. They the, the CR like trying to balance a fucking combat in in D anD D fifth edition requires some sort of hellish dark magic that I'm not aware. of. Yeah, I just cheat. I just end up having to cheat. Like, oh, they're gonna murder. Like, oh, they're gonna murder everyone in this. I need to. Mm-hmm. I need to like lower some of the stats or fudge some of these rolls. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some complexities, and you can see the tension that is there between. Um, we really want to simplify this to make it more accessible to people, versus we want to give the people who love crunch and they love detail and they love numbers, we want to give them what they want. And I think the reason why I end up recommending it for its simplicity is the fact that you can just um you can just break it all down and simplify it and just have it be all you're doing is rolling the like, strength dexterity con checks. Yeah. Like I, that is the base of the very game, and I, the base is is very solid. Okay, so my second example of that, and um, is actually the fifth edition of uh, Legend of the Five Rings. That's a, that's a very good one too. Yes. Yeah. Another another slightly problematic fate. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. I'm I'm yeah like. So, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the, or tell the audience what the mechanic is first. In in yeah. the core of Legend of the Five Rings is that you have these five elemental rings. There's uh, air, fire, water, wind, and void. And what they've done in fifth edition is that when you do an action, you choose a ring that represents the way in which you are 
doing the action. So for example, um, I could go up to you and I could say, I want to convince this person to um, let us through the door. And then I have to pick my ring. And so if I pick a fire ring, for example, fire represents, say, aggression. Um, so that would be, I would essentially be rolling an intimidate check. Um, air would be, if I, I cannot remember the exact... Air is like manipulation, I believe. So like lying or creativity. Exactly. Um, and water, is, because water is fluid and such, this is where you, maybe you give him an additional perspective or something to think yeah. about, etc. Um, and I, I absolutely love it because it's, it's a, it's a system that instead of tying tying it to like specific stats, it gets you to really think about the method. Yeah, and yeah, instead of instead of. Um like any intrinsic physical capabilities of your physical and mental capabilities it's more how does this reinforces how your characters act acts yeah so instead of like oh i'm playing the strong character but i so i have to bump my strength up no all you could be super buff with any stat like yeah uh, it just determines how you approach things Uh, and then there are certain bonuses to that i think uh, we, uh, I will, I will sing Final Fantasy, uh, uh, Final Fantasy, Fantasy Flight Games, uh, praise to the High Rafters at any opportunity. But it's so like Elf of Our Fifth Edition is so much better to me than like any other previous edition that, mm-hmm. and not not to fault anybody who loved the previous editions, but this was. Like, it was night and day. I never wanted... Like, I've played L5R before, uh, and I, I just never wanted to play it again until I heard about the, the FFG's version of it. It's so yeah. good. I, it's I so played, simple. I played through the... Uh, a friend uh, ran the starter um, adventure for us. Yeah. And that was... It was really, really good. Have you played the starter adventure? I have not played the starter adventure. So oh, the- wait, yes, I have. That's the the Topaz Championship, right? Yeah, where you are trying to... Yeah, and then for every event you have to do... Essentially, the way it sells the ring system is that on every every event, like archery or whatever, they have judges, and the judges will prefer certain ways of, um, of, say, like solving a puzzle or, like, firing an arrow or something like yeah. that. And then you have to really think about, like, what's the philosophy behind it. But as you say, like, it is... It... it, it I don't want to... I, I use the term transcends stats quite lightly, but uh-huh. it just reminds me... It, it's like the difference between I'm going to remove that boulder because, because my strength is really high... Versus, I'm mm. going to move about the boulder because I know how levers work. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and to get you to really think about that, and I and I absolutely love and un, unrelated. I love the idea of your face. I love the idea of um, your face breaking. I'm yeah, probably- stri- like it. It's ju- like the strife mechanic is legitimately just a a like complication factor mm-hmm. like just to get just it's just a thing that to generate role playing yeah yeah so those are two examples of um really modern i think it really speaks to to the way that game design is heading that these are yeah. two very modern um designed games 
where and I think I think it's all, like it shows how m- mainstream games are follow are not. I don't know if they're following indie indie games specifically, but uh, mainstream games are are following this uh, what I think is a, a very good trajectory into yeah. accessibility, playability, and like theming things rather than uh, simulating things. Um, yeah, I think so. I, would, I think I would agree with that. I think it's it's a general shift to away from the idea that you are playing a war game with names attached yeah a game which is about which is 100 percent just what D was for a long time yeah yeah exactly. and most games and um, because of that most games where you are um where essentially it's all about numbers and masteries of systems which if you go back to the 90s and nerds in the 90s and noughties like well or rather white male nerds in that time that was yeah all their shit. It's a, that, that, that was their thing. And moving towards the idea that it can really be about the role-playing and it can really be about the the shared narrative. And mm-hmm. what are the tools that we can give you to facilitate that narrative? Um, and we can't talk about, on this on this podcast, this podcast that I, I own, mm-hmm. uh, we can't talk about like games rewarding thematics uh, without mentioning Passion de las Pasiones, have you heard of this? I haven't. No, please tell me about it. Okay, so uh, uh, Brendan uh, Leon Gambetta is a uh, one of my favorite game designers, and and soon, hopefully, a guest on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and he has he has made a a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, where you play through telling your your play characters in a telenovela mm-hmm. and you don't have it, it's like big dramatic stuff right like it's not it, it's it's over it's it's melodrama it's over the t- everything's over the top yeah um and instead of having stats uh to get bonuses you answer questions like uh, one of the playbooks their question is are you the center of attention so you you're 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 uh given benefits for following the themes of the game and your playbook rather than having intrinsic stats uh Mm. so when you are playing towards the themes of the game you are more likely to succeed at the things you're doing and i as far as i know he like originated that idea and it's blown my fucking mind it's I really want to like read that rule book and see how that works in practice, but that sounds fantastic. Uh, so he did. He ran a. He ran a. I, I, I'm sure he's been on other podcasts too, but the one I heard was he he did a. He ran it for the One Shot Podcast Network. Mm-hmm. The One Shot Podcast. Nope. One Shot Podcast. He ran it for the One Shot Podcast, uh, and it was exactly like it was over the top. So the one shot podcast t- trends towards more goofy to begin with. So mm-hmm. I imagine you could play it a little more, um, a little more grounded, but it's still a telenovela, right? So it's going to be high tension, high passion, high drama, right? Right. Uh, stuff. But I, I just, I just love the idea of you get rewarded for playing towards the theme and being a, a like giving role player rather than having intrinsic stats on your character sheet. That's really good. Like uh, that yeah. sounds really interesting. <laughs> and, and it's again, it, it goes back to the idea of like this cooperative role playing. Yep. Uh, um, so, so yeah, uh, there is one more thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, hit me. And, and this 
because when you when you first asked me the question of what makes a you game, I kind of thought started thinking about what interests me as a game designer, and uh-huh. I was wondering is that something you'd want to hear my answer for? Oh yeah, that, that's that's so that's um the original part of the question is uh it, if if, if I like, guess what makes it a you game mm-hmm. specifically, and that yeah. that definitely like carries over into like a game you make is a you game to yeah. some extent because i i really i was really thinking about that today and and i wanted to, to discuss it a little bit with yourself okay um hit me i think with the games that i've made and you can kind of see this a little bit with uh school play which was the last one page rpg i made i think i'm mm-hmm. really interested in failure uh-huh I'm, oh oh friend <laughs> i'm really really curious and interested about the experience of of failure and and in a sense i'm also interested in comedy as well i was wondering whether or not to say comedy but really it's more it's more about failure yeah um because in part i feel like a the true taste tests of well for, first of all like failure is intrinsic to every single game. Like you need, whenever you're designing a game, you need to think about what's that experience going to be like if your right. players just roll entirely badly. Like, yeah. is that just going to be a bad time for absolutely everybody, or is there going to be something in there? It's one of the reasons why I put in a mercy mechanic into school play, which yeah. was. Um, which was essentially there to kind of soften the blow of like you're gonna feel like a lot of time. Like the the odds in school play are really bad actually. Like I think yeah. it, like to succeed you need to roll a double and if you're rolling uh like three D six, then that's mm-hmm. gonna be a third success rate. Yeah. Like the the school play is a game where you are expected to fail a lot. Yeah, but that is the part of the joke. Is the situation is just getting worse and worse and worse until you decide to hijack a golf cart for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm honestly with you there. I like I if I had to answer that question, I, I could come up with a lot of answers, yeah. and you could too, I'm sure. Uh, but if I had to give one answer for what is a Chris game, mm-hmm. like the first thing, the the biggest taste test that, like you said i can go with is what does the game do with failure yeah for instance i made a game very with a very similar idea uh mechanically not thematically mm-hmm. uh called giving up the ghost where right if all you if all you do is succeed in that game that is that game is very boring mm-hmm. in that game failure is the fun part yeah um and and that's because i i specifically think a lot of fun there's a lot of fun that can be derived from failure even and and giving up the ghost is a comedy game so it's it's funny but like you can also like adversity is a part of stories Mm -hmm. and it's it it, it's part of what helps you grow your characters and and uh and helps you grow as a person yeah um and and i think failure is is very important and and if if the idea behind failure is you you don't get to do the thing you wanted to do mm-hmm. and that's the end of the story that i don't want to play that game mm-hmm. i think I, I think adversity is really important but something that i a bit of advice that i give to all newbie uh dms is 
you should always be prepared for your game to become a comedy. Yeah. Because if we just take D and D as an example, okay? Because I'm thinking like 3.5 D and D. Like yeah. the DCs in that game were are balanced to give you a 50-50 chance of success most of the yeah, time. Yeah, which is which is which is well, we talked about, I talked about this Quinn Wilson which is like Lol. if you're trying to play a pulp a pulp hero fantasy game that's yeah. bad. That's a bad odds. Yeah, yeah, like you're going to <laughs> you're going your your players are going to fail a lot and yeah. and this is and this is if you're a player as well. This is equally valid if you're a player as well. You should always be prepared for the possibility which is a high possibility that you're going to fail at the at the wrong time and it's going to be hilarious and also i think an important part of failure is that it doesn't stop things yeah and to be honest one of the um one of the things that i found really exciting about the way that games are moving is this move away from pass fail binaries yeah like the the, the, the yeah the success failure binary is yeah. very frustrating like the the number of games that i see these days where they have near misses i.e you've you don't pass you don't roll high enough to pass but you can choose to pass but with a consequence right is is really exciting to me um blades in the dark fantastic game um has that as one of its core mechanics. Yeah. And it also has players can resist negative consequences as well. Yeah. Like players can just say, no, that didn't happen. Right. Like I, I take on I like take on three points of stress and like I don't like fall to my death. Like yeah. or I don't break my I don't break my foot instead, you know? Right. Um just the number the number of ways creative ways that games have developed to sort of counteract failure like inevitable failure because as long as you have any kind of probability system in your game there's going to be failure it has been fantastic um and i think it's also about everybody being on the same page as far as failure goes as well like school school play is is a game where everybody should be on the same page of this is the game that's where things are going to go wrong. Fiasco is a game where everybody should be on the same page of what's going to be going on. And I think it's important for when you're running, say, like horror games like Call of Cthulhu, yeah. that everybody's on the page of, okay, if something goes wrong, this is something that you laugh off. This is actually shit gets a lot more serious. Yeah. Um, and that's part of that collaborative storytelling that we that we were talking about before. It's about having everybody on the same page as far as what is the story that we collectively want to tell. Yeah. Uh Yeah, I assume, yes, I very much uh, agree that like um Failure, like, it, I think, I think you should you should give as much attention to failure as you give to success. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, especially and, when you're when you're designing a video, uh, sort yeah. of video game, designing any kind of game. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I think um, my absolute favorite thing is messy success. Like, oh, messy uh, success. I like that yeah. phrase. Yeah, messy success or, or partial success, however you want to, however people Excuse want to call me, it. Excuse me, I am entirely a messy success. <laughs> that is my self identity. 
<laughs> I I'm uh, I'm I'm not gonna I I, I can't I, I gotta. I'm not going to talk shit about myself. That's what I'm not going to do. Um, so uh, that's actually a really good transition. In if if you unless you have something um, more you want to to say before we move into the change life uh, part. I think the, the only other thing I would say is that I think success is really good, and and this applies for if you're doing a role playing game or doing any kind of game. Um, success is something that is r- really fun to interrogate and really fun to. Um, to mess with. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it kind of comes down to the fact that success is the presumed normal state of being for, especially for board games. Right. Um, The, now, like, years ago, um, I made, um, I made a, a board game for a game jam called Good News, and it was a game where you were playing as uh like as a propagandist. You were working for this newspaper and you were there and it was like an apples and oranges style game where you had to um change headline you had to play cards and change headlines and if you did if you did it well you got a point, if not you didn't get a point. And yet new headlines were constantly coming in and building up yeah. and building up and your ability and it was like you could play a card or draw a card you couldn't do both and new headlines right. came in every single turn so it was yeah. a game that was deliberately balanced for failure like this, this these were cogs that were like um like the cogs were coming off the machine eventually you're going to have to start top decking and just make awful awful moves <laughs> and, and it was there to kind of capture the feeling of, yeah, you're in a broken system where you're not going to get the resources that you need to actually do your job. Yeah. Um, but you got to, f- and, and finding a way to make that fun to play. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. The number one bit of feedback that I got from that, from people playtesting it was um, they didn't know how to win. They didn't. They didn't think they had enough um, agency. There weren't enough moves to make, etc. And in my head, yeah. I was just like, "But the point of the game is that you don't have any of these things." Yeah. And it's really interesting with board games, especially. There's this assumption that there is a way to win, uh-huh. and like there's there's always the then like if you just manage to master the game enough, then then success is is inevitable um, right which is why i get really interested in games where um where failure is a part of it like um yeah. say uh what's it called uh pandemic legacy for example is a right. game that is that is kind of balanced so that eventually you're going to fail because if right. you succeed in a uh, in a scenario then you start the next scenario with less funding so eventually right. the viewers are going to come off right right and so i think i would i'm always really fascinated by role-playing games or um board games that play with the idea of failure or inevitable failure um 10 candles is a really good game for that um and just any game where everybody kind of has to make peace with the idea that they're going to fail eventually. It's just really interesting. I think more games can really, should really do more around playing the idea of 
failure is inevitable. It just depends on... Because if failure is inevitable, then then there is a journey to find meaning in in the space between where you are now and and the, then the failure. And I think that's just really interesting space to be explored. Very much so. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on this one. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, uh, okay, and with that, we are going to move into changelog, uh, and I'm going to start with the the thing that. Uh, I feel like is most a- apropos to our conversation, which is uh, how I did uh, how I define major and minor concessions. So in Hard Space Hustle, uh, there's only one one success band where you just succeed. Okay. Uh, and every other band is uh, you succeed with and you ask for a concession or you succeed, but the GM asks for a minor concession or the GM asks for a major concession or in failure. It's the opposite where you fail, but you get a concession. And then like as you go down, it's you get you get a, a smaller concession or at the very bottom, it's you fail and the GM gets a, a concession like. So it's always. Yeah, it's always like. And 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 the way I, it used to be, just like the, we get to, we just make a concession, and, and we I hadn't defined it or anything. I hadn't given any guidelines. Uh, and for this one, for for one point five, I kind of defined them, and I gave like three different categories, and then three options in each category. And the idea was, and the the idea behind this is, I want I want these concessions to be a conversation rather than one person making uh, an agree uh, like a a. a decision and then going with it mm-hmm. um so because because it's collaborative it's a collaborative we're making a collaborative action anime game yeah. is what we're doing um so like it, it's we're, we're we, let's have a conversation about what's more interesting to both of us mm-hmm. um like, like come to a a, a uh, compromise almost it's not even a compromise sounds bad because i think like players if they if they get to have say in how they fail or or what what the drawback to success is they're more comfortable with it so you work together to find out what's most interesting to both of you uh and and i find that that and that can like spiral into more interesting things happening uh so the idea is if you pick the category the other person picks the option from it and then you interpret it together or vice versa like if the if the player picks the category then the gm picks an option from that category and then you work from there to 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 tell that in the narrative yeah um i I so so that Good. That, um, I'm just saying, I really like that as that kind of collaborative um, storytelling. It reminds me again of uh, Blades in the Dark. Have you read that game? I haven't read it. I have played it. Ah, okay. Um, so you know, so you know about the idea of being of like risky actions versus safe yeah. actions, being against the wall, and so and how that is. Um, that should be a conversation between mm-hmm. the DM and the player as to, well, actually, I think this is a risky action. You disagree, yeah. but I think, you know, like, you're actually pushed up against the wall here a little bit. I I also know that, uh, uh, the de- like, I know, I know about the Devil's Bargain, which is my favorite mechanic from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I know that if you offer me a Devil's Bargain, I will always take it. Because <laughs> I think that's oh, great. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a good, that's a good thing. Um... I'll have to admit, if I ever run uh, Blades in the Dark for you, I'll have to remember that. Um, I, yeah, no, I I fucking love like don't offer if you don't want this bargain to happen, don't offer it to me because <laughs> odds are I'm going to think it's cool and I'm going to go for it. <laughs> uh, uh, but because I don't I don't 
I'm playing a, a game where like shit's bad. Let's make this bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what I really um, like about this is that it helps to um, it helps to balance the it, the inherent power imbalance between the yeah. the DM and player. Um, and like a lot of the really good games that I've been seeing lately have been ones that really pay attention to the fact that yeah, there is power imbalance where the dm mm-hmm. is was traditionally viewed as this person who was like the final gatekeeper who held all the keys and decided whether or not you you lived and died and that yeah that not only put a lot of pressure on the dm to be kind of the glue that holds everything together but yeah. like it led to some really really bad behavior and yeah. in worst case you know power trips by by yeah. the dm um, yeah, we've all experienced that. I've, I, yeah. I, I, I like because of where I came from, uh, in the group I came from. Yeah, uh, that was also a problem I had to break myself of. Was assuming like it was adversarial gming was never going to be how I wanted to play, but it yeah. was how I was taught to play at some point. Yeah. Um, and it just chafed. It chafed me so bad. I don't. I don't. I remember leaving D and D sessions just angry and exhausted and feeling bad mm-hmm. and there's no fucking reason that should ever happen <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think um for me i for me when i gm'd i was never i never felt i never liked the idea of being an enemy to the players but no but even then even if you don't take that adversarial thing there is still the pressure and there's still the power imbalance yeah. and so the really good games that i've seen lately have been more of a dialogue between the player yeah. and the dm not just on on world building and things like that but also cases of okay so what what actually is the consequence of this um do you think that this is an, a hard skill check or do you think that this is a a reasonable skill check to do mm-hmm. um i I, it, it, it's a lot of what's going into hard space hustle is is a lot of what my uh philosophy behind what a gm should be is mm-hmm. uh and and at its core i think the gm the gm's like i have i and it's this has come for me thinking about why i can't play gmless games like even fiasco i have some trouble with sometimes and fiasco is one of the ones i have the least amount of problems with but uh i find that uh you have to have a very good group of players who all kind of like the same thing to play a GMless game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you've got to have people who understand timing and stuff. I think the GM's major job is pacing. If I'm honest, F- realizing when something is, is when realizing when you should cut a scene is a very important skill that a, par- a lot of people don't have. Yeah. Um, or, or, or not, not they don't have it. It's just when you're in it and you're not, you think you're only ha- you're only like you're because we get emotional about our characters. Yeah. We, there's some character bleed back and forth. And when you're in it, it can feel like, uh, oh, this has to keep going. But when the story, like if you're thinking about it from a story perspective, and also trying to keep in mind every other player at your table, yeah, you, you've got to yeah. move things sometimes. You, you and don't. Some, you don't want this. You don't want the scenario where, like, you're like, okay, my player goes shopping, and then half an hour passes. Yeah, it's just this, this, just this one person going shopping, and everybody else yeah. is staring at their phones. So I think, I think, in my opinion, the GM's primary jobs are are pacing and tone setting. Yeah, um, I think, and 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 you know, you making 
calls sometimes yeah if 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 you can't collaborate properly and we need you need a call uh it's nice it's 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 just for but that's a pacing thing that's to keep things from bogging down in arguments here's here's something um here's kind of a question for you um i'm thinking of uh the game lady blackbird by uh john harper who also did um blades in the dark and he Uh said in lady lady blackbird the dm's ideal goal is they should always be the one asking questions yeah and so asking questions they should not be dictating the action they should be the one asking the questions which facilitate the action and the example that they use is like there's like a count there's like a lady there's a bodyguard and there's a pilot in in lady blackbird for example and then the um the pilot gives an order to the um, bodyguard, and the example in the book is him is the suggestion that the DM should then turn to the lady and say, "Hey, this pilot has just ordered your bodyguard around. How do you feel about that?" Yeah, leading questions are the most powerful tool in a GM box. Yeah. Uh, like and then that one's not even a leading that's just asking a question but yeah i think this is this is um this all started for me this this philosophy started with me when i started doing very robust session zeros mm-hmm. um and 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 like taking it to a place where okay in session zero i'm not the fucking gm we are all and you're not players we're world building uh we are talking about characters themes I, things we want to see in the game and then make like having them make npcs like uh, take it out of my hands what npcs would you like to see in this what enemies would you like to see in this yeah. what what like I, having players make their own adversaries mm-hmm. uh and all oh, it's yeah. just so it, they immediately like the session one they're invested everybody's invested because this is they they've told you what they're interested in you don't have to guess you don't have to make something up that you think is interesting and then like oh no one's interested in this oh fuck what have i done yeah 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 (laughs) uh and and that's just kind of evolved like why can't i like let's just fucking do that in games too yeah tell me what you think is interesting about the situation and we'll work together and and i know that's like uh, not not a whole lot of people have had a lot of experience uh improv gming or improv playing and that that can be stressful or whatever so if you need to plan you you plan but i i just ran a a genesis game where i didn't plan shit (laughs) um because i know the genesis system so well like it's easy for me to to improv things on the go yeah um and it was it was I, like every like i just had them do like a, a 45 minute session zero uh, and then took a five minute break got me a cup of coffee and a water and thought about like because i asked them who their rivals were and for some rumors and i'm like how can i how can i just tie all these together and that yeah. was the whole game yeah. and i had so much fucking fun <laughs> <laughs> that's so good though that's yeah. so good uh, i think there is so I, there is one mm-hmm. like concession or not concession there is one um there is one point to remember and i have noticed this with a lot of modern games and that is it really all all of this really depends on the dm and other players being aware of what the experience and comfort level of all the other players are. Yes. Because I'm I'm reading a lot of I read a lot of modern games and they are all very highly improv. They are all very they demand a lot of creativity and engagement from players. Thing is, mm-hmm. if this is the first time 
somebody's ever played anything, like mm-hmm. they might not feel comfortable with that kind of stuff. They might not have the improv skills for that. Um, right. I might say to you, like, okay, I'll give you a major concession, and you might go, um, I, I don't know what I, I fall over, yeah. I, I guess, or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And so, which was a and so Sorry. and so I think it's it's. And, and like Blades in the Dark, for example, like really robust systems in that, but it requires like a lot of a lot of heavy work done by yeah. the DM and by the players as well. Right. And not everybody is there. And I think the fact the reason why why five E or fifth edition D and D has been really successful is that it does find a really nice balance between um, something which is accessible and easy for people who haven't played games before, but there's enough room for crunch for people who mm-hmm. are experienced and do want to just roll like intelligence checks to do some crazy thing. And mm-hmm. so I think with with this system, um, like I like the I, I like the fact that you've got. Uh, I'm reading the fifth the 1.5 that you've got you sent to me, and I really like the the fact that you have examples there. Because mm-hmm. I like the idea that a new player might be like, I don't know what a minor concession is. Um, I'll just pick somebody new gets involved. Yeah. And some something lets someone slip. Um, yeah. Like, I don't have to come up with something whole cloth. Um, yeah. You just I, pick what's interesting you. F- what, what, what on that list is interesting to you? Yeah. yeah. And, and then we. And yeah. like, even if every single time I. Um, even even if I'm the kind of player who can't choose, and every single time I just say somebody new gets involved, like that's still really interesting, you know? There's <laughs> a lot of fucking people involved now. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the sixth mafia family is involved now. <laughs> God damn it! Uh, and there's like GM tools, there's, mm-hmm. and there's gonna be more mm-hmm. where like the, the, you're supposed to keep track of of like NPC because like recurring villains and stuff is a, a big theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, supposed to, you're supposed to keep track of like NPCs they've interacted with, uh, because like getting a new NPC is like oh, okay, a cool person. But if you bring back an NPC that they have history with, yeah, yeah, of that's course. always great. Yeah. Uh, so you're supposed to have that list there, so you can just draw people in from that. Uh, yeah. So that was a, that was a major point of why I decided to define major and minor concessions mm-hmm. more. I'll, also, that leads us into another uh, change I made, which is the very first like. And there's going to be like the standard safety tools in this game. I haven't I haven't put them in the book yet. Uh, probably should. Um, but the very first this game specific safety tool is called a commercial break. Okay. Um, and at any point for any reason, even if it's literally you need to go fucking use the bathroom, you can just say the word. You can say, "Hey, I want to call a commercial break," and it's going to be on the list of like non action actions you can take. Um, but you just call a commercial break and 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 that that's everybody leaves and you can message the gm or talk to the gm or whatever or if you have like it, you can also use it if you have like hey i'm going to call a commercial break right here let's stop the action things are moving too fast i'm confused i need to talk about this uh or whatever like any problem you're having it's a good time to decompress and and slow things down stop the action um and and with no like cuz hitting the x card implies like uh, I, I, from everything I've heard is like like it's hard to hit the X card, especially with games players you don't know, because like that's inherently I have a I'm, there's something wrong. Right, right. Um, whereas you can call a commercial break and say you need to use the restroom mm-hmm. 
even if it's you need to talk to the GM or you need a break or whatever, and then you can have the conversation in private or uh, it just stops things. If you just, if, if, if all you actually needed was a few seconds to like collect yourself. Yeah. Um, it's whatever you need. And then it, it, it has a mechanical effect too uh, of when, when you call a commercial break after the commercial break, like after everybody comes back, you're supposed to like go through what, the fiction has been telling us and make adjustments to your sheets. Like you can increase or decrease stats based on like, if you're in an advantageous position, you can like, you can go through and um, just make sure everybody's up to date and make sure that the, the mechanics are reflecting the, the fiction. That way you don't have to stop after everything and like adjust things to see, Oh, uh, do you think like hurting your leg would reduce your traverse uh, or like have that conversation between roles? You can just wait until there's a commercial break. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do all that just to not break the action until you need a break from the action mm-hmm. um uh which i think is a, 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 a i'm i'm hoping is going to be a good safety tool and also an interesting way to keep things fun uh, yeah i think the, and moving the, the putting that in as as you call it a safety tool is really important especially as and just, you know more awareness is being getting around triggers and making sure that it's a safe environment for everybody involved. Um, uh-huh. I think definitely include something there about like this isn't say a mechanic to be used tactically. Like <laughs> no, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you don't want people going like, okay, well, I would call a commercial break, but I don't think it's like the right cliffhanger moment or something like that. Making it very right. clear instead, no, this is this is not. Uh, you use this at the appropriate time. This is a. Uh, I just need to. I need to call it. It's like timeout essentially. I, yeah, I would call it. Like, I would call it a timeout mechanic. Because yeah. I think everybody, everybody is aware of what timeout. Or rather, everyone in American is like aware of like what timeout is, and I think the important thing about that is timeout can happen whenever. Like mm-hmm. timeout happens. There is no rhyme. Commercial breaks happen every so often. Timeout just happens right. whenever they need a break. You know, right? Um, if you did want to make it more crunchy, though, like the thing that immediately came to mind is like, what if there was like a toy commercial during? during it and like you get a bonus for like oh spike spiegel's news like swordsman swordfish 2 now on sale and then next and then in the next bit they get a bonus for like driving his swordfish 2 and showing off like the ground to air missiles yeah that'd be pretty funny <laughs> uh okay um so Oh, up next, oh, uh, this is a, a major change to the, the dice mechanic, but okay. it, it doesn't take a lot of explaining. Uh, I noticed that, like, so you add your your uh, attribute and your skill together to overcome the difficulty. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people, because most actions are a one difficulty roll, a lot of people are rolling way over their difficulty and not getting any bonus for it. Right. Um, so I tried to think of, of how to, to fix that. And the way I thought of it is if... Your skill die is actually a flex die. You can apply it to your uh, attribute or your skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so if you if you need to overcome, if you need to succeed, you can apply it to your attribute. If you can't if you can't succeed on your attribute alone, but if you do succeed in your attribute alone, you can just push that over to your outcome and get a better outcome. Or if you're going to fail regardless, you can p- apply it to your outcome so you fail less. Mm. Okay. Uh, so. 
so yeah it, it, it's it's a little clunkier rolling so i'm gonna need to keep watching it but uh it was just the the solution i made for this update no but i i understand it is it is frustrating as a player to like do like a really good roll and like have the have it quite limited like I'm playing uh-huh. in a Legend of Five Rings fourth edition game just now, and I'm really not getting along with the race mechanic yeah. in that game. I like I feel because it, it punishes you kind of. It the race mechanic is inherently anti-player. Yeah, because essentially what it means is that it hard limits you on how much you can succeed, and forces you to take a risk if you want to do any better than that yeah. and and it's if you, not if you want to do the cool thing it's going to be you you the more cool you try to be the more likely you're going to fail yeah and that is i can see i can see the risk reward mechanic behind it but ultimately it, i think it's an anti-player mechanic mm-hmm. and so yeah, like it, it's frustrating when I roll like a forty or something like that, and they're like, "Well, the TN was fifteen, and he didn't raise." Seventh uh, C's mechanic is a little hard to do uh, over uh, the internet. Like, if you don't have physical dice, because you got you got to make tens out of your dice, right? Right. Um, but it's the opposite of the raise mechanic, where every ten, like you roll a bunch of d tens, and and you you take you like separate them off to into groups that hit ten or more, mm-hmm. right? So if you get like if you roll a shitload of d tens, and you get like three groups of dice that add to ten or more, you can take three actions on your turn. Uh, so you can do like the cool thing on top of the thing you were doing, uh, but you you don't have to make the decision before you roll. Uh, which I think is a very uh, the, the like the opposite way to do that. Uh, which you don't get the risk involved, but it's also like uh, being very good at something means you get to do it more or do it in a cooler way. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, which I thought was a really cool seven C is a lot to it that I really love. Like mm-hmm. the the progression mechanic is if you want a point in a skill, uh, however many points you need to get there because it's like one to three, then you have to make a one to three step story of how you get that skill or how you get that benefit. And then you mark those off as you hit those story beats. And then when you get, when you mark the last one, you get that skill point or, or ability and like, fuck, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's really, really cool. I really like that. Okay. So welcome to the long list of me fucking changing weights. Every goddamn up. (laughs) I want I want marking weights to feel good, uh, and I'm trying to find a good place for it. And for this one, I'm not happy with it, and I've already thought of a better change. But this one's in this this version. So, so, so wait, wait, sir. Um, as I'm reading, baggage or trauma you're currently dealing with the things you're shouldering alone. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, weights are are important. It's like your backstory and your 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 emotional baggage. Um, all wrapped up into one and there's a mechanical effect it, it took it's to, to incentivize you bringing it into the game uh you can mark your weights for a bonus on actions and then the only way to unmark those is to have your character talk about them and and that's also how you uh like out of combat um recover hit points and stress is having a conversation you can you can narrate that as like a first aid scene but what's actually giving you the mechanical healing is 
the 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 expression of your uh, uh emotions and um bring it, like airing like, out your your laundry that that is really feminist and i really like that <laughs> i uh I, i'm so it's sorry to interrupt so, like i'm i'm suddenly reminded of like this uh, like a meme that's that's rolling around recently where somebody's like david your character's been around your angsty anti-hero has been yes. around for <laughs> For 20 <laughs> sessions, and I hasn't said a thing about their backstory. I saw, I saw, yeah, it's the, it's the meme of the, 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 pot, not pot, they're not Pawn Star, the, the motorcycle guy, yeah. I think, uh, throwing change. <laughs> and yeah, I, like, I saw that, and I'm like, oh, this is, this is my, this is me, yeah, fuck yeah. That. tell me your fucking backstory. Please. <laughs> I want to know, I will help you. God, and I, I will, will see, like, I will highlight this backstory so fast. Oh, and one of the things that I'm having trouble with in, like, L5R at the moment. It's a it's a setting where nobody talks about their feelings, and I'm yeah. just like, I have a backstory I want to like disclose <laughs> to everybody, but it would be rude to do it in polite company. <laughs> yeah, please, it's, it's Rocco really Yeah, this Hearts and Sussels the opposite. Your characters don't want to talk about it, but you're gonna fucking have to. But yeah. <laughs> God, I love I love the idea of forcing people to talk about their feelings. Like it's, it's so it, every like players will players will fight against the Tarask. They will come back from the dead. They will hop like planes. <laughs> Getting them to sit down and talk about their feelings? Ooh. <laughs> well, it's it's a requirement in Hard Space Hustle. Sorry, nerds. Yep. Um, so that used to be you just re- re-roll your dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I've decided is... Uh, you, you what i what i decided to do is like a kind of rolling keep system where you uh yeah you roll those and if you decide to mark your weight you roll those dice again mm-hmm. and then pick which ones you keep from either mm-hmm. um as long as you keep the same amount of dice mm-hmm. um which which means you're almost guaranteed something better but it's still it's very clunky and it slows things down so so that's uh, why like you're i said having trouble with it yeah uh but it'll be fine um however i still wanted to keep um uh, rerolls involved because they're, they're very. I, uh, sometimes you just want to fucking you just want to try again. Yeah. Uh, so I've made it to where you can spend like one of the options for like you could always spend resolve for certain things, and now one of the options on resolve is to reroll one die. Uh, it could be any of them. Like it could be a difficulty die that you rolled an eight on. You're like, oh fuck that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you can spend as many as you want to re- keep rerolling or reroll more than one die as long as you have resolve. And that's just your character pushing themselves. Like uh, at you. So I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, I, I I hate to be contrary to you, but this seems like a very eloquent system. It's like okay, if I if if I want a reroll, I can mark a weight, and then if I want to untap it, essentially, then. I have to talk about it. That seems like a yeah. really straightforward and easy to understand. So that mechanic. was, yeah, well, that was the old one was, uh, you just reroll them all, but you had to keep your, your second result. Okay. And it, it, well, you didn't have to reroll them all. You rerolled as many as you wanted to, but you had to keep your second result, uh, which led to people marking their weight and not getting any effect out of it. Um, okay. So you can't uh, like choose like the higher or something. Right, which you can now. That's that's the change. Okay. Is you you re-roll them all and you can kind of remix the dice to make them work. Okay. Uh, and again, my my problem with this is just it slows things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I've got a better solution. But we'll have to wait for the next update for that. Ooh, uh, look forward <laughs> to that. Uh, 
but you still you can still resolve one die per resolve spent, so you're still going to get re- random rerolls. Like I like that. Okay. I like that mechanic enough that that could be like I'm thinking of like one page RPGs. Like that could be like the crux of of its entire of its entire role playing game, right? Yeah, that's the mechanic. Yeah. You can re-roll if you talk about your shit. Hard Space Hustle. <laughs> it's a game about flying spaceships and talking about your feelings. It it literally is. <laughs> it doesn't come up much in, in one-shots. I'm trying to run it a little better now where there's like more more action at the beginning yeah. so that we have time to, to, to do the the fallout afterwards i i um yeah i only recently found out about the game lasers and feelings oh my god lasers and feelings is so good i've never played it but like i found it like last week and it like it's so good uh so i've got i'm gonna i'm guess what buddy uh yeah <laughs> i've got an even better one for you uh guess of the show cinda mm-hmm. uh has made a hack of that uh, that system. A lot of people have made hacks of that, but this one is very good for you, Jun. Oh. Uh, it's called Love and Justice. Oh, and it's the it's the lasers and feeling system, but for magical girls. Oh, that's so good. I'm gonna have <laughs> to check that out. Definitely do. I'll send you a link later. Oh, it's very good. Cinda is amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and you're gonna love that. <laughs> Please. Oh, I we we. We should play Love and Justice is what we should do. Yeah, I would love to play a game of Love and Justice with you. <laughs> uh, oh, man, now I'm just excited about Love and Justice again. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the last thing on the changelog, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a pretty big one. I have removed the initiative system from the game. Oh, interesting. Talk about that. Yeah. You don't so so what I kept running the problem of like your your initiative and I think I think the system was good and it would might be good for a different game of like the amount of fa- it was failures now it's resolved the amount of resolve you have just you don't roll for initiative it's just how whoever has the highest resolve goes first okay. but it, it led to a lot of the players not going first ever okay um, which is fine my idea was like at the beginning of the mission. If you get ambushed, yeah, it's it, like that's fine. the 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 NPCs are going to be low low ranking nobodies, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's fine for them to rough you up a little bit before you, before you fuck them up. And then you failed a few times by the time you get to uh, the end, which would be fine if I if people failed more often. <laughs> um, again, the base difficulty is one d eight, so most people aren't failing all the time. So you end up not like getting to the end of the game with like two or three resolve. And, and so it's like, uh, where do we, I could try to work on ad- adjusting numbers or whatever, but it still felt weird. You got So I, I've thought about it. I'm like, this isn't a combat sim game. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm trying to make. So I don't, this, this is how, what, what, what's a better initiative system. And I think what I, I think what I've landed on is good. Uh, which is that there's and i think this will this will definitely help for because i want social encounters to work the same as combat encounters mm-hmm. um and, and like waiting for your turn in uh a uh social encounter is weird because you got to have other people talk while you're like I, but i they said something to me i need to be able to respond um so there's no initiative unless you're ambushed the first pa- the first initiative spot goes to a player mm-hmm. any player whoever wants to take it uh, which is an L5R 5th edition social thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you act. If you act against an NPC, 
they can respond. They can immediately use their turn to respond. Okay. Uh, and if they respond against you, that's fine. That's the end of it. Another PC gets to go. If they, if they don't respond to you and instead, like, attack a PC, they get, that PC gets to uh, do, decide if they want to respond or not. Okay. Um, and, and so you keep going like this, bouncing back and forth. Or if the PCs never actually interact with the NPCs, uh, they just all get to take their turns first. So if you all wanted to, like, jump into cover or whatever... Yeah. Um, that's fine. You all, you could all technically take your actions first because you weren't ambushed. Okay. Um, so instead of having a numerical system of, okay, everybody line up and when your turn, when, when your number is called, then step up to the front of the initiative queue. Instead, it's a more dynamic, um, system of react, of action and reaction. It's like, we follow the action. Tennis ball bouncing between people. And then at the end of it, uh, anybody who hasn't been acted against, any NPCs haven't been acted against, mm-hmm. get to go all at once. Okay. Um, and, and, and so long as every... And, and you don't have to. You could, this is a thing where you could save your action if you wanted to and not act until someone acts against you uh, as a PC. And you just keep going like this until everybody has had a chance to act in a round. And then we reset the, the round. Uh, same deal, the PC going first, it sounds, and then the NPCs can react. It sounds really interesting. I'd be really interested to see how it works in in practice. I think it's mm-hmm. um, it's a reflex that I think a lot of players will have difficulty with, just because yeah. initiative is so initiative in like role playing games is about as as kind of reflexive as rolling a dice you know like yep. and and you're it's kind of ubiquitous and you're trying to untrain that activity but i'd be really interested to see how it worked because yep. it also strikes me as the kind of system where after you played it a couple after you had a couple of encounters like this you'd be like oh actually this this makes a lot of sense like mm-hmm. it's very intuitive so yeah I, and and this is the i agree that's gonna be a problem and it was a problem the reason why i thought of this is it's a problem i had with powered by the apocalypse games when i first started playing with them which is no initiative things just which is a pro it, it is a drawback in powered by the apocalypse if you don't have a good gm who's watching out for that shit okay. because you could have a a an encounter and where unless you ask a player, what they're doing, they could just go through the encounter, entire act, encounter without ever doing anything. Oof. Uh, because, there's, because there's no initiative system. Or right. you could definitely have it to where one player gets all the action because the, ro- the, the moves can snowball. Um, where if you act upon something, they react to you and you react to them and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless you have someone watching that, it can get you can leave people out. People won't know when, when their turn is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Whereas this one, like you still have that bouncing back and forth and like your initiatives up when it, when it makes sense to be up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody has to have one action before we reset the round. Okay. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully that'll be good. <laughs> right. Right. No, I'd be really interested in seeing how that, that pans out. It sounds really, really dynamic and really focused. Again, shifting away from mechanics and more towards yeah. like the sort of dynamic and naturally flowing action. Yeah, I, I will. Um, I do have one. There's one more change that uh, is not in this 
this 1.5, but it will be in the upcoming playtest because I don't want to continue doing the, the boon, the weapon boons and fumbles like I have been. Okay. Uh, but I didn't have time to write them off for this one. Mm-hmm. So boons and fumbles are going to be for weapons and dispositions are going to change again. They're going to be less mechanical mm-hmm. and more, um, uh, putting a bit like a narrative prompt in the player's hand or in the case of a fumble putting a narrative prompt in the gm's hand mm-hmm. so it's still the same thing where your, your boon will highlight what is cool or or or, or unique about your weapon uh, and your fumble will uh highlight what is a drawback about your using your specific weapon or fighting style mm-hmm. um and the same with with dispositions it's a it, uh, it'll highlight what's good about your personality and what is the drawback to you having your particular personality however instead of being like fiddly dice or or uh points going up and down it'll give you a narrative prompt for instance if you have like the slicing boon on a sword uh it will be uh you you cut an item or something off of a person like you sever something mm-hmm. from someone so you could cut so you could it could be used to disarm like it gives you a, a little intro prompt and then you 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 interpret what that is or if uh like your fumble is uh it leaves you wide open then you describe yourself being out in the middle of nowhere and that will inform how the npcs react to you on their turn um and so it's more of a like pulling narrative control back and forth between the GM and the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a there's going to be a thing where if if you as a character or as a player lean into your fumble, the GM can give you a resolve point for leaning in for making it worse for yourself okay. than you actually had to or making it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Or if you're like if you're like for using the example of severing, if instead of sever like cutting the like uh, backpack strap on somebody and their backpack falls off, you're like, I cut off their three fingers you're like mm, that's a little more that's a little much from the thing i'll let you do it if you spend a resolve to do it is, is this, so it's like is this your love of devil barking coming through it's a little bit i just like i like shading the narrative we control back and forth and also it's a bit of like in um masks there's a, a moment of truth um Masks is a powered by the apocalypse young teenage superhero game. Right, you, right. Have you ever heard of it? Okay. Um, and it, it's about being kind of like not in control of yourself. Okay. Like as a game, like to the point where your your stats shift randomly based on in, like, people's influence on you and moves you make. Oh, interesting. Um, oh, Masks is, Masks is, if you're, if you're only going to play one powered by the apocalypse game, please make it Masks. I think it <laughs> does. I think it's what ma- like powered by the apocalypse is, is meant to do, which is to, do a very specific theme and masks is the one that nails it the hardest mm-hmm. uh a lot of a lot of your characters control isn't in their hands and they do it in a way that's fun and interesting and not not frustrating um it's so, a but there, one of the advancement options is you unlock your moment of truth and then while your moment of truth is unlocked uh there's like a little it's Based on your playbook, the theme, like the theme of your your superhero, there's like a, a small paragraph that you say, "I'm going to use my moment of truth." You read this small paragraph, which is a, a prompt, and then you describe the scene. You don't roll for shit. Mm-hmm. This is your character's moment. This is a defining moment in your character's life and progression as a superhero. No one gets to tell you no. Well, you get okay. There's there's always the like, whoa, fuck that. Like, yeah. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> but like within reason, the GM's not like, oh, but that ruins my plan. No, <laughs> this is their moment of triumph yeah. and coming into their own, and they get to narrate it. And it's this is a very small version of that. Like, yeah. this is 
a, a thing your character is is good at and is supposed to be able to do, and they're going to take the, the spotlight for a moment uh, it, it, with this prompt. This very specific, and this one's the and these are like in, in the boons are very narrow prompts rather than broad. Like you get to, you get to narrate a scene now, um, but yeah, that was the inspiration for this this version of boons and fumbles. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, and I'm very sorry that was way more changed than I thought. There, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Like you're every time I, I tune into one of these it always feels like it's really interesting to just hear how things are changing and how because um, yeah game design hard goes through a lot game of iterations weird and arcane and I don't I I said it in my 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 depression dev diary of like I, I wish people would show us more of their early versions of games yeah yeah it feels a bit um like it it's it feels awkward because it's almost like you're you're kind of showing the not quite finished, not quite polished version of it. But we're in alpha. This is the the there, there was no game and now there is. Yeah, like, we're yeah. Just, <laughs> we're li- this is this this podcast is me throwing RPG spaghetti at walls. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah but uh, I, as you say, not many people actually do this, and it's really and really the idea and the process of game design and really getting more insight into why decisions are made in terms of like why certain design elements are there is always it's really interesting yeah i'm i'm my i've i've said to people i don't know if i said on the podcast like it my if if one person is like uh listening to how much trouble you're having with this kept me in game design that'll be worth it like just if anybody else like is like oh okay this is look how shitty this game was if you (laughs) (laughs) i'm fine i can i can do this that'll be worth it um and hopefully at the end of it i have a a passable game that people like to play i'm sure you Um, will i'm sure you will (laughs) do do i have to be do, do i have to be on you for for being too too hard on yourself there uh no i'll i'll backtrack it yeah. I, I i there are things in this game that i'm already kind of proud of yeah um i, I think we need uh, i think you need to have a being too hard on yourself jar and every single time you do that you add in a little sound effect clink <laughs> clink <laughs> just that'll be that'll be a good uh thing because i have to go fucking edit that in every time yep so you're making more stop giving- you're making more work for yourself <laughs> I like that. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Every time I'm shit to myself, I'll have a folly at him. Yep. <laughs> Sound of Oh, gosh. Um, so that does. Oh, we're. We've made it, mm-hmm. John. We've done it. We are at. We are at the closer. And it's at this point. I would like to place a, a crown or tiara of your choice upon your head. This is the. This Ooh. is the. The monarch of all gaming head piece. Very pretty. I like it. It's. It's nice. I worked gold? a lot on it. It's it's yeah. Uh, so <laughs> why? Uh, but while you have this on your head, uh, and and I do have to take it back in a minute because I don't want you to get assassinated. Oh, you have just enough time to decree, make one decree for the gaming community, and whatever it is, the gaming community is ob- legally obligated. Like, I don't make the fucking rules. They're legally obligated to follow that rule, okay? Uh, that decree, and it could be whatever you want. It could be a change in a mechanic or a design philosophy or uh, a philosophy as f- humans in general. <laughs> uh, I have I have a good one at mind. Okay, what is what is? Tell us, uh, oh monarch of all games, what is your decree? Okay. 
My decree is if your game setting if your game game system or setting has magic or if it has something equivalent to magic i.e. sufficiently advanced technology you should make it really easy and accessible for your players and the people in that world to change gender whenever they want <laughs> right <laughs> okay because I think it is kind of weird and regressive, the fact that this is really hard for you to do. If we're just thinking about 5th edition, for example, the yeah. spell alter self, which lets you change your form to whatever you want in a kind of vaguely humanoid sense, is second mm -hmm. level. If you yeah. want to change your gender permanently, then you have to cast an 8th level spell i.e. the yep. one that also lets you transform into a dragon. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay? I can, yeah. I, can, I can guarantee you that if anybody in, if anybody in the real world discovered magic, the first thing they would do is use it to change their gender. If they were a cis guy, the second thing they would do is use it to give themselves a bigger dick. You can't yeah. do either of these things unless you cast an 8th level spell in D&D, and that is weird as heck. Like, yeah. the <laughs> arguments that I get against it are, well, like, wouldn't that be unbalanced? Wouldn't it be unbalanced if you could change your form permanently? Wouldn't that be great for assass assassinations and things? Excuse me, in D&D 5th edition, you can turn invisible... With a second level spell. <laughs> Invisible! <laughs> you can you can break f all of physics. <laughs> yeah, you can... If we're talking about spells that make it easy to assassinate people, you can turn invisible at second level. At first level, you can cast a spell that always deals damage to your target. Always deals damage to your target, <laughs> and most char and does enough damage to kill most first level characters. Yeah, the idea that a spell that lets you change your form permanently to whatever you want, whenever you want, being unbalanced is just does not compute when there is such a wide gap between second level and eighth level spells. So yeah. if it is a cyberpunk, especially if it's a cyberpunk world, or if it's just anything that is to do with magic, you need to have a way to let people change their gender and change their appearance permanently for whatever reason that they want. Maybe you are the kind of person who would not use that spell, but I can imagine there are a lot of people in this world who would love a spell like that just to be able to explore aspects of themselves and their gender, mm -hmm. and they shouldn't have to be constrained by things such as time duration or this idea of a true form. The, the wording around like shapeshifters, yeah. when they are died, re die, return to their true form, is really squirrely and really old and really yep. should not be in a game like made in 2019. 
it and it feels like they don't oh hold on i'm gonna take this you've had it for a while now i'm gonna take this off of because i don't want you again i don't want you to get assassinated uh because you i was just going mad with power dying (laughs) (laughs) i know i saved you from yourself and all of us um but no i i super like it, it people keep backing themselves into like corners like they keep fucking up because they're trying to like they're making it way more complicated than they have to yeah i like you can just there there's magic it's magic it's magic <laughs> magic can do anything and like let's just have fun and like just, not ha- and like yeah let people do the thing <sighs> yeah that makes no sense to yeah. me at all and again like if we're speaking realistically, seriously, the first thing that people would do if they had magic thing would would be changing their form, changing their gender, doing all mm. that kind of stuff. Like, yep. if if you don't think that that's why people would do that kind of thing, like why they would like master magic, you don't really know people all that well. I feel. I definitely think like that's that that's all. Uh, this is a different tangent, but uh, like. One of my favorite things is the mundanity of magic at some point. Like, if magic is in your world, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And, like, it does... Like, you're right. It's very simple. People would just change their form. Like, if that's an option, they would. And, (laughs) like, you should let them. It's, like, games are a, a, a place to explore things. And also, like arguing about like the mechanical benefit of being able to change your gender permanently is just wrong-minded in my opinion yeah and and it kind of it comes back to this idea what we talked about to do a callback to what we're talking about at the very beginning of the podcast it goes back to this transition from um where it was a war game and you only thought about spells in terms of what mechanical benefits it could offer you versus what am I what are we using this space for? We're using it to tell a collaborative story. And so really there's like no excuse for you not to have spell. If you, there's magic or magic equivalents in your world, there's nothing that should be stopping you from including those kinds of spells. In D&D, there is like 50 or 60 ways to kill somebody with a spell, but there's no way under, under eighth, level for for under eighth levels magic and for you to like eighth change level, your gender for those keeping track eighth level is like level 15 15 or 16 out of 20 by that time you are getting very close to being a living god is is what i'm like that's an eighth level spell ninth level is the ability to wish for things like that's how that's how ridiculous this chasm between second and and eighth level is, and the fact, yeah, like use magic to let people explore that kind of stuff. Think about the the mundane ways that magic would be used, like the 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 out of combat, out of uh, yeah, the out of combat, out of killing, out of dungeon ways that magic would be used in kind of day to day life. Like, I can guarantee you, like people would try to come up with a spell to make you happy. Yeah, like there's no, there are no spells and no magic in D and D for mental health, for example. Now, I'm a mental right. health professional, and I can tell you it's a lot more complicated than that, obviously. But at the same time. The fact that there's not even a spell that attempts that, yeah, like just is a big highlight on 
the idea the f- that spells are there for adventurers and for killing things and for mechanical benefit and not for things such as day-to-day life for expression of self and such and being able to change one's gender and change one's appearance to whatever they feel like absolutely falls into that and it would just open up the game it would open up any game um to um to so many more people i feel yeah yeah I no, that's a that's that's a very good that's a very good decree. I don't regret giving you like for once. Don't regret. Actually, I don't <laughs> think anybody's. I don't think anybody's given a shitty decree yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that I that's very good. Is there anything else you would like to talk about before we close the show? Um, I think we've kind of covered everything that I kind of prepared for and such. Um, yeah. I do want to say, so you mentioned school play and good news. I know school play is, is available through your Twitter. Is good is good news available Not anywhere? Not really. Good news kind of fell by the wayside because I realized that it had a very short shelf life, if yeah. that makes sense. And yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of fell by the wayside, unfortunately. But uh, it's just some things. Some some things happen, you know. Some some games aren't always meant to be. Right. Super agree. That's why we have graveyards. It won me an iPad, so hell yeah. Like <laughs> there we go. I'm I'm happy. If that's the only sort the thing that it accomplished, then I'm. Happy I'll tell you that. what. None of my games have gotten me anywhere near a fucking. <laughs> Uh, Test complete. Is there any other is there any other projects you would like the, it, people to look at, or just uh, so I know your uh, your your Twitter is at at Jinsera. Uh, yep, at Jinsera. Um, I really want to make more one page RPGs. I'm just very busy at the moment in time, and so one page RPGs are kind of a uh, kind of distraction from that. Um, yeah. Really, um, I just. Just keep an eye on my Twitter account, and if I um, come up with anything new, I will probably post it on there. I'm also looking to put um, school play um, and maybe anything else I come up with on itch.io. Probably they're, well, they are going to be free, but just uh, if you want to put some coins in the donation box, then I'm happy for that. Um and yeah, you've uh, been you've been in in university for ten thousand years. You could use the help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, often people ask me, um, "How did you afford being in education for so long?" And I'm just like, "Debt, lots and lots of debt." Oh, I haven't been able to afford it. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> Support us by following on Twitter at PlaytestPod, download all current documents for this game at playtest.pub, and find a link to our Discord from either of those to join our creative, friendly community. And remember everyone, the world may suck sometimes, but you don't. And sometimes, you have to kick your cat out of your recording room because she won't shut the fuck up for five fucking seconds and let you record a goddamn outro. Citrus.